Chapter 7 of The Prospective Mother. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. The Prospective Mother by J. Morris Lemons. Chapter 7 The Ailments of Pregnancy. Nausea and Vomiting, Heartburn, Flatulence, Defective Teeth pressure symptoms swelling of the feet varicose veins hemorrhoids shortness of breath leucorrhea toxemias most of the ailments to which prospective mothers are liable are merely the natural manifestations of pregnancy exaggerated to such an extent as to cause inconvenience and discomfort in the early months for example persistent nausea and vomiting may become the source of great annoyance and later the pressure of the womb against neighboring structures may cause a variety of symptoms it does not follow however that any of these ailments will necessarily appear on the contrary many women are more healthy during pregnancy than at any other time occasionally illness is charged to pregnancy with which in reality pregnancy has nothing to do while awaiting the birth of a child just as at other times women may suffer from coughs or colds from aches or pains from malaria pneumonia typhoid fever or in fact from any disease it is evident that such complications are accidental and though pregnancy confers no immunity against them it does not on the other hand render women more susceptible to all kinds of ailment and yet there are diseases for which pregnancy is directly responsible these are to a very large extent preventable and though they occur rarely precautions for their prevention should be taken in every case of pregnancy by far the most important members of this group are the toxemias of pregnancy these as will be explained later cause symptoms which the patient herself may recognize and her physician may often detect their presence still earlier by alterations in the composition of the urine for this reason routine examination of the urine during pregnancy is a means of prevention indispensable for safeguarding the health of the prospective mother a number of ailments of which prospective mothers may complain do not require treatment with medicine this however will not be taken to imply that there is no need to consult a physician on the contrary and it cannot be emphasized too strongly the prospective mother should seek professional service whenever there is anything about her condition she does not understand sometimes when she thus consults the physician he will explain to her that what she has noticed is merely one of the natural manifestations of pregnancy and that she can have no control over it at other times he will suggest changes in her mode of life which will very likely afford her relief the frequency with which physicians find that ailments may be corrected by the adoption of hygienic measures indicates that such ailments are more often due to ignorance or carelessness than to the existence of disease nausea and vomiting we have already learned that nausea especially in the morning on rising from bed frequently corroborates the suspicion of a woman that she has become pregnant so commonly indeed is this symptom expected that most women take no account of it other than as an evidence that they have conceived and consequently do not complain of it 
a few who have heard the old adage a sick pregnancy means a safe one which incidentally is not correct actually accept nausea as a favorable sign in other cases the nausea is not to be dismissed so lightly and a relatively small group of patients suffer from persistent vomiting when prospective mothers are questioned systematically it appears that at least one-half and perhaps two-thirds of them experience more or less discomfort from sick stomach generally this begins shortly after a menstrual period has been missed and ceases six or eight weeks later it persists occasionally until the movements of the child have been perceived nausea and vomiting are limited in the vast majority of cases to the early morning but some patients are annoyed only after meals and a few at irregular intervals during the day the fact that the attacks do not always appear at the same time and that they differ in severity indicates that different causes may be concerned in their production and it is true that there are several kinds of vomiting that occur during pregnancy although the classification interests only physicians the laity however should understand that the treatment of any given case will vary according to the class to which it belongs and therefore the occurrence of troublesome vomiting should be promptly reported to the physician most frequently it will be found that there is nothing serious the matter the vomiting ceases or at least it becomes less troublesome as soon as the diet has been more carefully arranged constipation has been corrected or other hygienic details such as outdoor recreation and mental diversion have received the attention requisite for good health in a much smaller group of cases the restoration of the womb to a proper position or the treatment of some other local condition which can generally be remedied without difficulty is all that is necessary but finally in extremely rare instances the vomiting of pregnancy is due to a definite disease whose existence may be recognized by special methods of analyzing the urine in any case if the physician is given an opportunity to make the necessary observations and thus determine the variety of the vomiting no time will be lost in beginning effective treatment in an overwhelming majority of the cases as i have said nothing serious will be found and then the control of the vomiting will lie within the power of the patient herself since nausea is usually experienced in the morning on rising from the recumbent to the upright posture measures to prevent an attack should be begun even before the patient raises her head from the pillow in the first place something to eat should be taken as soon as she awakens the most satisfactory results follow eating two or three pieces of crisp toast or a bent's cracker sold by grocers either of which should be thoroughly chewed and swallowed without taking anything to drink good results are also obtained though less uniformly from eating other food such as fruit oatmeal or eggs the benefit secured from this procedure is explained perhaps by the activity of the digestive organs and the effect of that activity upon the circulation of the blood the food eaten before rising is not intended to take the place of breakfast which ordinarily will be eaten later furthermore it is essential to remain in bed until half an hour after the food was taken and not to rise then unless perfectly comfortable anyone who is inclined to be nauseated should get up slowly and dress leisurely sitting down as much as possible while putting on the clothes 
if breakfast is not desired at once it should not be forced but some food should be eaten between early morning and noon it is an exceedingly good rule to bend every effort toward escaping the initial attack of nausea for in this way one soon gains confidence and overcomes the depressing habit of being continually on the watch for the symptom lest she be taken unawares exceptionally however patients feel more comfortable if they vomit in the morning this may be helpful for example if a large meal has been eaten just before retiring the previous night next to morning sickness in point of frequency comes the disposition to be nauseated about meal-time those who vomit after the meal is finished are frequently inclined to eat soon again and there's no reason why they should not sick stomach after meals may be due to several causes such as eating hurriedly eating too much or selecting food that is difficult to digest if a meal is bolted the stomach may be overloaded before the appetite is appeased and consequently those who eat too much are fortunate when the stomach rejects the excess eating slowly and masticating the food thoroughly we know is the proper way to ensure taking no more than is needed one of the most valuable precautions against persistent nausea consists in taking small amounts of food five or six times during the day directions regarding the frequency of meals and the choice of food have been given in chapter four to which the reader may refer it may be repeated however that a prospective mother should naturally avoid anything which she knows is likely not to agree with her on the other hand she is almost certain not to be nauseated by any article of food for which she has an appetite lying down for a short while after meals frequently serves to prevent an attack of vomiting it is a good rule furthermore at whatever time of day the sensation of nausea may occur to lie down immediately an ice bag or cloths wrung out of cold water if applied to the abdomen often give relief warm applications occasionally serve the same purpose better some patients prevent nausea by constantly wearing a flannel bandage about the abdomen many instances of the vomiting of pregnancy cannot be explained by errors in diet for the attacks come on repeatedly whether the stomach contains food or not under these circumstances mental influences frequently have to be reckoned with indeed in most cases of vomiting of pregnancy dietetic and other hygienic measures are of no avail unless the patient learns to divert her attention from troublesome thoughts that the brain can exert an influence over the stomach is a fact well substantiated both by physiological experiment and by medical observation in all probability there is a definite spot in the brain called the vomiting center the irritation of which causes retching and the upheaval of the contents of the stomach as this nervous mechanism is possessed by everyone it is not called into existence by the advent of pregnancy nevertheless it seems likely that pregnancy renders it more sensitive and it is certain that pregnancy establishes new means by which the center may be stimulated this admission does not imply however that the prospective mother must submit to inevitable discomfort for she can and should muster the strength to resist it time and again an unhappy frame of mind exaggerates or prolongs the vomiting of pregnancy thus disappointment anxiety grief fright 
and other types of mental uneasiness not only magnify the discomfort but sometimes are its sole cause the curious cases in which the husband suffers from nausea while his wife is pregnant are explained by mental influences as a result of the same kind of influence women who imagine themselves to be pregnant often suffer from violent vomiting which ceases as soon as they discover their error on the other hand women who for several months remain ignorant of the fact that they are pregnant rarely suffer from sick stomach any kind of worry may be and often is the direct cause of the vomiting of pregnancy though patients are often unwilling to confess it and occasionally do not seem to know what it is that troubles them in any event having received the assurance of her physician that there is nothing serious the matter the prospective mother who is annoyed by nausea should make every effort not to become self-centered she should have congenial companionship and should interest herself in pursuits outside of as well as within her home of all the measures that may be employed to overcome this manifestation of pregnancy the most fundamental and essential is mental diversion heartburn obviously it would not be fair to consider indigestion as one of the ailments peculiar to pregnancy for anyone is liable to suffer from indigestion yet dyspeptic symptoms more especially heartburn and flatulence occur so frequently at this time that something should be said regarding their causation and treatment a burning sensation rising from the stomach into the throat familiarly called heartburn is generally due to an overabundant secretion of hydrochloric acid which is as we have learned a normal constituent of the gastric juice of late the conditions which influence its secretion have been the subject of laboratory investigation which has disclosed among other interesting facts the way to prevent heartburn these experiments have taught that the introduction of fat into the stomach shortly before a meal decreases the amount of acid secreted during digestion consequently anyone who is troubled by heartburn and wishes to avoid it should take a tablespoonful of olive oil a cup of cream or a glass of rich milk fifteen or twenty minutes before mealtime on the other hand fatty food eaten with the meals prolongs the stay of food in the stomach and causes an increase in the secretion of hydrochloric acid an excess of the acid as we have just learned is favorable to the development of heartburn therefore as a further precaution against this source of discomfort it is advisable not to use a large amount of butter or of salad oil and to refrain from fried food rich desserts or any other article of diet known to contain a relatively large amount of fat once it has developed heartburn will be aggravated by taking cream or olive oil the most rational curative measures then consist in diluting the acid by drinking a couple of glasses of water and in counteracting neutralizing the acid by taking a teaspoonful of baking soda bicarbonate of soda or a tablespoon of lime water and if necessary either of these doses may be repeated patients often adopt the very sensible habit of carrying with them a block of magnesium carbonate which they nibble whenever the symptom appears flatulence 
the distension of stomach and intestines with gas technically called flatulence may be associated with heartburn or appear independently the gas arises from the action of bacteria upon the food there can be little doubt that flatulence occurs so regularly during pregnancy because the pressure of the enlarged womb prevents the contents of the intestine from moving along as rapidly as they have done previously to be relieved from this source of discomfort it is necessary in the first place that the bowels should be regularly evacuated very often nothing further is required than to overcome the habit of constipation occasionally however the diet must be arranged so as to exclude food which is likely to form gas for example parsnips beans corn fried food candy cake and sweet desserts all of which are known to cause flatulence should be avoided in aggravated cases the allowance of starchy food of every kind should be cut down to small portions since the production of gas in the intestine is due to the action of bacteria sometimes relief from flatulence is secured only after the administration of intestinal antiseptics drugs however will be prescribed by the physician and will not be employed until the simpler hygienic measures have failed similarly the physician should decide whether it is advisable for the patient to drink milk inoculated with harmless bacteria the bulgarian bacillus which has lately been placed on the market the bacteria thus administered in the milk are antagonistic to the intestinal bacteria that produce gas and consequently have been recommended for the treatment of flatulence if this commercial product cannot be conveniently obtained one may use instead tablets containing the bacteria which can be supplied by druggists defective teeth unless suitable precautions are observed the digestive disturbances of pregnancy have a tendency to injure the teeth the regurgitation of the acid contents of the stomach for example may cause cavities to develop or may enlarge those that already exist in all probability the damage done in this way and not the removal of lime from the teeth for the formation of the child's skeleton as some have thought is responsible for the origin of the saying that every child costs a tooth this notion is of course absurd yet it is quite true that toothache and the decay or loosening of the teeth are not infrequently associated with pregnancy on this account throughout the period of pregnancy particular care should be given the teeth one of the very first duties of a prospective mother after she knows that conception has taken place is to visit her dentist this step is very important as a means of ensuring the teeth against such harmful influence as pregnancy may have upon them if the dentist finds the teeth in poor condition the patient should consent to have them treated immediately that this is the reasonable course seems sufficiently obvious yet the majority of women have been slow to adopt such a view for a long time dental work of every description was incorrectly believed to have an untoward effect upon the development of the child and the extraction of a tooth it was thought would surely be followed by miscarriage although the extraction of teeth is not frequently undertaken nowadays i have known several prospective mothers who required the operation and who had it performed without experiencing a single untoward symptom 
very naturally dental work should be restricted during pregnancy to that which is absolutely necessary and temporary fillings generally suffice but whatever is needed should be done without delay brushing the teeth after meals and removing particles of food that may have been caught between them important enough at all times are of even greater importance during pregnancy if the gums are sore and the teeth show a tendency to loosen the best toothpaste is one containing potassium chlorate an alkaline mouthwash should be used several times a day after an attack of vomiting it is always advisable to rinse the mouth with such a solution as a wash either lime water or milk of magnesia or a solution of bicarbonate of soda may be used they are equally good lime water may be prepared at home inexpensively in the following way place a teacupful of builder's lime in a large bowl and add two quarts of water thoroughly mix and allow to settle pour off and throw the water away since it often contains impurities add two quarts of water again and allow the mixture to stand three or four hours stirring occasionally strain through a piece of muslin into bottles and keep well corked one tablespoon of the solution should be added to a glass of water to obtain the proper strength for a mouthwash pressure symptoms because human beings walk erect and not on all fours they are liable to suffer from various ailments of pregnancy that quadrupeds escape thus the upright posture is the chief factor at least in causing such complaints as swollen feet varicose veins hemorrhoids and cramps in the legs the attention of patients should be called to the source of these troubles for in most instances they can be prevented by forethought and prudence during the last two or three months of pregnancy every prospective mother should carefully avoid being too much on her feet she should lie down as has already been emphasized at regular times of day and frequently sit down to rest proper support for the abdomen such as is afforded by a correct corset or a maternity supporter lifts the pregnant uterus and to a notable extent relieves of pressure the structures beneath it on the other hand incorrectly made corsets the use of circular garters and running a sewing machine by foot power all aggravate the pressure symptoms of pregnancy swelling of the feet so long as the swelling is confined to the feet and legs it does not mean that there is trouble with the kidneys the swelling is satisfactorily explained by the pressure of the enlarged uterus upon the veins which pass through the lower part of the abdomen and conduct the blood from the legs on its way back to the heart the womb is rarely heavy enough during the first half of pregnancy to interfere with the flow of blood through these vessels but in the last few months such interference is very common generally the limbs are equally affected yet occasionally the swelling is more marked on one side or the other the characteristic changes begin in the feet the skin covering the back of the foot becomes tense and has a waxen appearance it is easily indented bearing for a moment the imprint of anything that is pressed against it often the swelling extends no higher than the ankles but it may involve the calves the thighs or even the vulva which is the region between the thighs if the swelling remains slight no attention need be paid to it but if it becomes extensive or painful nothing will give relief except going to bed 
patients observe for themselves that the swelling lessens during the night and from this usually learn that the proper treatment is rest when it is absolutely impossible to remain in bed long enough for the swelling to disappear the next best plan is to accept every opportunity during the day to sit down and prop up the feet varicose veins the distension of the surface veins of the legs the condition known as varicose veins is not a peculiarity of pregnancy anyone who must be on his feet a great deal is liable to suffer from this ailment it is true nevertheless that pregnancy increases the likelihood of the development of varicose veins the walls of the vessel are generally able to withstand whatever strain is placed upon them during the first pregnancy and usually the varicose condition does not develop until after there have been several pregnancies as a rule both legs are similarly affected but if only one it is more likely to be the right this is explained by the fact that the position of the child within the womb is ordinarily such as to cause greater pressure on the vessels of the right side for the same reason when the legs are unequally affected generally the veins of the right side are the larger in any case however the birth of the child removes the source of the interference and during the lying-in period provided that the patient remains quiet for a sufficient length of time the vessels regain their normal caliber once they have been distended however the veins remain more susceptible to engorgement consequently in order not to increase the strain these vessels naturally bear during the latter months of pregnancy the precautions just mentioned for the avoidance of all the pressure symptoms should be strictly observed upon the first intimation that the veins are becoming dilated a patient should be unusually careful to keep off her feet all that she can only in extreme cases will it be compulsory to go to bed but if the veins are large and painful she should stay in bed until material improvement has taken place subsequently she should wear a flannel bandage snugly applied about the leg from the toes to a point somewhat above the knee the bandage should extend higher whenever the veins of the thigh also are dilated in putting on the bandage the heel may be left uncovered after leaving the foot a turn of the bandage will be taken around the ankle and then supplied upward a flannel bandage may be easily made at home bias strips are cut about three inches in width and sewed together end to end so that the joining will lie flat unless the bandage must extend far above the knee eight yards will be a sufficient length elastic stockings which may be purchased from a druggist serve the same purpose as the bandage but are very much less durable even if worn during the day they should be taken off at night and when protection of the veins is required after going to bed the bandage is the most sanitary way of securing it the danger that one of the vessels will break may be disregarded if they are constantly protected by the measures that have been mentioned in the event of accident however make firm pressure over the bleeding point with a freshly laundered handkerchief and apply an ice bag outside the dressing until the doctor arrives hemorrhoids hemorrhoids are caused in the same way as varicose veins of the legs the two conditions differ merely in point of location but hemorrhoids on account of their location are much more exposed to irritation 
although the development of hemorrhoids cannot always be prevented it is a well-known fact that constipation renders the chance of their appearance much greater in a measure therefore regular daily evacuation of the bowels serves to prevent the ailment and also to cure it once it has developed but walking and even standing aggravate hemorrhoids the recumbent posture as might be expected is of itself frequently enough to give relief it is much more likely to do so however if the hips are elevated by placing a pillow under them in severe cases it is helpful to restrict the diet for a few days until a congestion and acute suffering have subsided if the hemorrhoids protrude they should be replaced which the patient may generally do for herself and an ice bag should be applied to the seat of pain various ointments and suppositories of different composition are valuable in the treatment of this ailment but as not all cases are relieved by the same medicine a physician should be consulted to learn what is most suitable in any given instance hemorrhoids often grow progressively worse as pregnancy advances and are frequently aggravated immediately after the birth of the child but they generally disappear within a few weeks whenever a natural cure is not thus affected it may become necessary to resort to surgical treatment operative procedures however should not be undertaken during pregnancy since the condition is likely to reappear before the child is born cramps in the legs there are nerves as well as blood vessels that the pregnant uterus may press upon and pressure of this kind may cause pain at times the pain is definitely localized at the point where the nerve is pressed upon under these circumstances the discomfort is felt in the lower part of the back on the other hand the pain may be referred to the point where the nerve ends in this way is explained not only pain in the leg but also those sensations of numbness and tingling which prospective mothers not infrequently complain of the presence of these pressure symptoms is usually limited to the last few weeks of pregnancy they often begin about the time the child's head enters the bony canal through which it is ultimately born engagement of the head as this is called occurs simultaneously with the dropping of the waistline that is about two or three weeks before delivery from the time the head is engaged all the pressure symptoms become somewhat more intense from the very nature of their causation it is clear that cramps in the legs are difficult to treat the recumbent posture lessens the discomfort and if in addition the hips are elevated absolute comfort will occasionally be secured whether or not the administration of medicine is advisable must be determined by the physician who has the opportunity to see the patient the birth of the child of course removes the cause of the pressure and permanently relieves this discomfort shortness of breath besides the ailments caused by the downward pressure of the pregnant uterus there are also symptoms due to its upward growth thus shortness of breath is regularly noted toward the end of pregnancy and as has already been mentioned it is one of the reasons for exercising leisurely unlike the other pressure symptoms shortness of breath is ordinarily aggravated by the recumbent posture for lying flat on the back increases the compression of the chest at night which is frequently the time when difficulty in breathing is most pronounced the patient may if necessary sleep propped up in bed 
For this purpose an appliance called a backrest may be used, but an extra pillow under the head and shoulders is usually sufficient. Leucorrhea The meaning of the white discharge from the vagina known as leucorrhea is variable. At times it indicates the existence of an ailment requiring treatment, and at other times it does not. To be on the safe side, therefore, any one who is troubled by leucorrhea should obtain her physician's opinion as to its significance. Normally, as we learned in Chapter 5, there is an increase in the vaginal secretion during pregnancy, but this fact is rarely noticeable until the latter months. Usually it is pronounced only during the last few weeks. At that time, owing to its antiseptic qualities, this pale white fluid should not be disturbed by the use of douches. In the early months of pregnancy, however, leucorrhea may cause such inconvenience as to demand medical treatment. While itching is the most disagreeable effect of such a vaginal discharge, it should be known that itching is not always due to leucorrhea. Thus it may be caused by a highly concentrated urine, and in that event will be relieved by drinking a larger amount of water. Or it may be due to the presence of unusual constituents in the urine. Skin diseases also cause itching, and light-haired people, since they have more delicate skins than brunettes, are especially susceptible to these ailments. To such skin affections, soap and water may be very irritating, so that when they exist it is often advisable to cleanse the parts with olive oil. In other cases, ointments are required and will be prescribed by the physician. Itching of the skin over the extremities or over the whole body, it is clear, cannot be attributed to leucorrhea, but in these very rare cases the irritation would seem to be caused by some waste product which is being eliminated through the sweat glands. We do not know what the substance is, but as the symptom appears so seldom, it must be due to an unusual kind of waste product, or else to one whose elimination normally occurs through other channels. The affection of the skin thus brought about is really a very mild kind of poisoning, and since the offending substance arises in the body of the patient herself, the condition is called an auto-intoxication. Effective treatment consists in drinking water freely and taking a cathartic, for the one stimulates the kidneys and the other the bowels to assist in getting rid of the cause of the trouble. Toxemias In order to understand what are known as the toxemias of pregnancy, we must remember that the nutrition of our bodies involves three separate and distinct sets of processes. What we eat is, in the first place, digested and absorbed into the body. Secondly, the products of digestion are utilized by the tissues. And finally, the waste material is thrown off from the body. Any one of these processes may be carried out in a way that is not consistent with health. Most of us realize that disturbances may occur in the course of digestion and we are also aware that the excretory organs occasionally fail to do their work in a satisfactory way. But what laymen perhaps do not appreciate is that the intermediary steps between the time when the food is absorbed and the time when the waste material is finally eliminated may not be taken precisely as health requires. Of course any person may be the subject of one or another of these nutritional disorders, 
but unquestionably such disorders are somewhat more frequent during pregnancy than at other times nor is this difficult to understand for the nutritional processes of two beings are here linked together they generally proceed harmoniously but if they do not there results an auto-intoxication of the mother which is called a toxemia such toxemias with extremely rare exceptions do not occur in the early months but are associated with the period of the active growth of the fetus namely the second half of pregnancy for this reason and for some others which do not concern us here it seems probable that the nutritional processes of the child are primarily responsible for these ailments this view however must be somewhat modified for experience has clearly taught that the efficiency with which the maternal excretory organs do their work has a great deal to do with the effect that the fetal waste products have upon the mother on this account she has been urged to pay attention to personal hygiene it is also necessary however that she should become acquainted with the symptoms which give warning that the excretory organs are acting imperfectly auto-intoxication can almost always be prevented the means of prevention are neither mysterious nor difficult to carry out they lie within the power of every prospective mother for they consist merely of what has already been discussed namely the intelligent regulation of the diet the care of the body and a correct ordering of the daily life to the chapters dealing with these subjects reference should be made and particular attention should be paid to what has been said concerning one wearing suitably warm clothes two bathing regularly three taking a proper amount of exercise four drinking water liberally five avoiding an excessive quantity of meat six guarding against constipation at present the value of prevention in the treatment of the toxemias of pregnancy is so clearly recognized that charitable organizations employ nurses to visit women of the poorer classes during pregnancy in order to instruct them about the measures that i have just indicated remarkable results have already been obtained in one clinic where this method has been adopted the frequency of all kinds of toxemia i am told has notably diminished and serious types are not permitted to develop similar results should be obtained in private practice when patients place themselves under medical supervision at the beginning of pregnancy under these favorable circumstances symptoms of auto-intoxication probably occur not oftener than once in every hundred pregnancies but nine out of ten of them being promptly recognized yield readily to relatively simple treatment the early detection of such complications depends largely upon the patient herself as has been emphasized and it cannot be said too frequently she should not fail to submit at appropriate intervals a specimen of urine for examination it is by such an examination generally that the development of a toxemia is first detected occasionally however significant signs will attract the patient's attention before there's any change in the urine for that reason it is important to notify the physician if any of the following symptoms appear one serious vomiting two persistent headache three dizziness four 
puffiness about the face. 5. Blurring of vision or the appearance of black spots before the eyes. 6. Neuralgic pains, especially in the pit of the stomach. It must be clearly understood, however, that any of these symptoms may be present without indicating that a toxemia is developing. Nevertheless, they should be brought to the physician's attention without delay, and at the same time a specimen of urine should be given him for examination. Although the kidneys are not responsible for all the toxemias of pregnancy, an analysis of the urine affords the most definite means of determining whether or not such a condition is present. When thus detected, prompt treatment will guarantee to the patient almost certain relief. On the other hand, if, as usually happens, the analysis shows conclusively that there is nothing serious the matter, this reassurance fully justifies the trouble taken to secure it. End of chapter 7 The Ailments of Pregnancy Recording by Pamela Krantz